It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van It's car con carne live from quarantine. Quarantine con carne. I'm James Van Ossel, and the show today is sponsored by our friends at C&H Financial Services. As business owners open back up to serve their communities, they're faced with a lot of challenges as they navigate through this new normal brought on by the coronavirus. C&H Financial Services is here to help. They offer a variety of products, ranging from traditional merchant accounts to a zero-cost payment processing solution, which eliminates the expense associated with accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express as a form of customer payment. To learn more, contact C&H Financial Services at 855-600-2437 or go to chfs.us. A quick programming note here on Carcon Carney. Coming up in the next two weeks, well, Monday is National Scotch Day. God bless it. So uh, Kevin Canchola from Glenfiddich will be joining us. Also on the way, he's a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. He's an author. He's a talking head. Chris France will be on the show. And then next week, we're talking to documentary filmmaker Steve Karras. We're going to talk about his movie About Face the story of Jewish refugee soldiers of World War II. It is gut-wrenching, powerful stuff. We'll talk to him. And as we continue to live life in this dystopia, uh, it's good to know that it's okay to not be okay. We'll check back in with our friends at the Hope for the Day charity. But for now, for now, I am thrilled to present today's show. I have with us today Alok Mishra, the producer, Naomi Grossman, who plays Janice in the fabulous new movie, One Bedroom. Thank you for joining us. Lovely to see you both. Thank you for having us. So for those who haven't seen it yet, and I, I'm going to strongly recommend this. I'm always looking for good horror movies. This is it. One bedroom. Uh, it's a tale of isolation, not knowing who you are, where you fit in. If that isn't emblematic of life in a quarantine, I don't know what is. Uh, this is this is great stuff. It's available video on demand. Uh, I watch it on Amazon Prime. I'm always looking for stuff. And I was telling you both before we started, I found this by accident like i was just scrolling through amazon I, I do that death scroll where i'm just looking through the screen trying to find something to land on i'm like oh what's this one br and i read the description I'm like that's it i love this movie congratulations on the work you both did yay thank you thank you, thank you. So, it, it, it's really uh it's really a, a a testament to our writer director uh, david marmer that it actually you know turned out as well as it did uh he's amazing well, thank God. He although, was... although you deserve a lot of credit at all as well. You, I mean, there were some major obstacles in making this movie and you weathered them. So, And I want to cover all those obstacles because this was almost a cursed existence trying to put this together for you guys. You had yeah. a lot of challenges along the way. Uh, but like you mentioned, David Marmer, I am so glad that he had struggles with alienation and making his way through Los Angeles because it really lent itself to a great story. It, it... Yeah, he... <laughs> He, he wrote it, uh, I think uh, he had um, just come down from like the Bay Area uh, uh, and come to, came to Los Angeles and he was uh, you know, going to do a graduate program at USC for you know, directing. And I think that he felt like what you feel when you move to a big city, which is, you know, not, and you don't have friends and you don't have sort of like that, you know, pack yet. And you feel sort of very alienated and you're walking around these like these buildings this is, the building that we actually got is very much like what i've been told what he had um you know when he first came to la where these like these big breezeways and a pool and 
people that are waving to you and you're like who the fuck are you why are you smiling at me like that kind of stuff going on um, and you're, you, know, you have shared walls and it's a weird experience you know being on your own and, and finding your way and so I think that a lot of that sort of weird stuff went on with him in addition to that I mean I don't think I'm spoiling anything because it's in the trailer but he also had a uh, cat that was not allowed that he was like you know keeping inside and hoping that no one would find out or the cat wouldn't you know He'd open the door and the cat would just run out onto the breezeway or something and he'd be caught and instantly shamed and maybe kicked out of the place. And so he had a lot of that worry going on that our, our main character, uh, Sarah, had going on in the story too. So it really was like a, a kind of almost a true to life thing in terms of the inspiration for, for David. Well, and Alok is from LA, so he doesn't actually know what it's like to move here. But um, I was very fortunate that when I did move to LA from Chicago, in fact, I know you um, are in Chicago and I went to Northwestern, mm -hmm. go cat. Uh, but um, it turns out that one of our mutual friends who I went to college with, Alok went to high school with, uh, introduced us. And so I, um, Alok made my entry into LA that much more, um, you know, uh, truly seamless, or else I'd probably be Sarah myself, let me tell you. So a little it's bit not, of back- It's a weird place to move to. It's it's quite, it's so big and yet feels so, you know, isolating and lonely at first. Oh, I have no doubt of that. And it's a backtrack a little bit for people who may be just joining and listening who don't know what the movie's all about. You mentioned the, the lead character, Sarah. She's ditched her family. She's pursuing a career. She's you know, striking out on her own. She wants to be a fashion designer. She finds this apartment. She shows up in this complex. Everyone is really friendly. They're hanging out. They're, they're, they're waving. They have, they have get togethers. Uh, it's a very social communal, communal sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Something that seems that idyllic, you know, is going to break bad pretty quickly. And sure enough, uh, in, in no time flats, uh, the cat was really a turning point that you referenced earlier. Um, it just, I, I, I'm trying to be careful and, and dance around spoilers, but I mean, you're right. The trailer does give some of it away. I mean, can I, I at this point, do I say possible light spoilers? Yeah, I mean, I, think, well, anything that's in the trailer, you should just consider fair game in that regard. I mean, at, at some point, we might have to get into a little bit of spoilers. You did tell mm -hmm. the audience that they should watch the movie. If they haven't watched the movie, maybe it's on them. But uh, but we'll try not to give away a lot away, obviously. But, uh, you know, whatever's in the trailer seems fair game. I, I mean, the, it's hard to dance around the, the reveal of the movie, but I feel like lots of reviews have already spoiled that. What's going on yeah. at the apartment? Yeah. Can I, can I talk sure. about this? Okay. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean I, would, I would say is just let's not talk about maybe the ending for sure, the last oh, right. third as much if we can help it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, you know, we have to reveal a little bit to have a conversation, right? Yes. Okay, fair. <laughs> thank, thank you for absolving me from my future sins. So this community uh, is there's more than meets the eye with this community. Um, it, it's really interesting. I, I want to watch it again. I'm looking forward to watching it again so I can see the characters knowing how everything plays out. Like seeing how everything is threaded through the movie, seeing what Janice does early on and knowing where things are going. Um, this is a community and they I think they're very righteous in the sense that they believe that they're doing the right things. Um, it is it's a cult it, and poor Sarah ends up in this apartment complex, which looks like a prison. That, that, that's no accident. 
Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is we were, we're a low budget film, a no budget film, if you'd call it that. And we were struggling to find that apartment complex even a, a week until we were shooting. And when we actually, we've seen a couple places, we walked you know, a lot of places actually. And we thought we had set, set, up, um, set up another place to shoot at. And then the last minute they were like, yeah, we want like three grand more. And we're like, we don't have it. You don't understand. We have no money. You are fucking us. And they're just like, <laughs> Yeah, well then, fuck you. We're like, well, fuck you. You know, so, can I curse on this? By the way, it's a podcast. Sure. Okay. It's okay. live. It's, it's too late. Some people are sensitive. I've already cursed. I suppose. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Better to ask uh, to, to give an apology rather than ask permission sometimes. But exactly. the point is this: we found the place, and David and I, when we were there together, we were doing this together. When we walked in the place, he's like, first off, it looks just like what I had back in the day, and secondly, I said like it looks very uniform and very almost prison-like but cheery because it's sunshiny yeah. so i feel like you know in some ways we had talked about this like the apartment complex was its own character like really in a sense to to the movie right and so when we found that place and they were actually like slightly even cheaper than the last place we were supposed to get we're like it's kismet it's fate let's do it and so and and, and here's the funny thing to do this is a functioning apartment complex right like this whole thing is full of people and they were so nice. It was crazy. And what's even weirder is that like Naomi was talking about earlier on, um, I moved to the Valley after this was, was finished and stuff. And I live two miles away from that place now. It's right near, it's right next to the veterinarian I take my dog to. So every time I take my dog and I was cruised by and I was like, look out, take some pictures. <laughs> My dream is actually to put up a nice poster and say, hey, listen, we want to do a screening for you guys after this COVID thing is over and do it in the courtyard. Because so many of the apartment complex people were so nice. They Even some of them wanted to be extras. And we were like, free extra? Fuck yeah. So we got them to do that. And, and the only time it kind of sucked was that, um, you know, sometimes people would put their dogs in the house and there'd just be a barking dog. And the whole <laughs> thing about this movie, one big plot point is that there's no pets allowed. Nope. And so you'd hear this dog in the background and I'd be like, can someone just go talk to those people and take, pay them 20 bucks, take the dog on a walk, go with them. So they feel like we're, you know, it, we would have to do stuff like that, which was hilarious. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, 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 they were so nice and it was very prison like uh, as far as the way it looked very uniform. No, everyone's equal sort of looking sort of thing. If and I yet, lived didn't there, have a though, nice courtyard and did have, um, and we did, What's that Sorry, name? I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm yeah. saying like, I think that's a lovely offer, like a generous, like, you know, they've gone to the trouble to like be an unpaid extra for us. But God, if I saw this movie, I'd like want to move. Yeah. Just it saying, can... like you might actually really ruin their living situation. So just think about uh, no, that I... before you, you know, off I the think... screen. I think that well, we can't. First off, we I'd love to in a year do that, but I don't think right. that uh, that you know, we get to get that opportunity, unfortunately, because I mean I don't think the one br heat will maybe last. The, I hope it'll last longer than a year, but I mean who knows if they're gonna want to have something like that. But anyway, the point is, is this: it is what you say. It is very prison-like looking, a very uniform, and everyone mm -hmm. doesn't. There's not a lot of individuality that goes around with, with how the look of that place is, and it was very much a character that kind of like fed into the story if that makes sense well and you you said that you said the word individuality i mean that that is 
a core struggle that, that Sarah has expressing her individuality. She moved to the West Coast to, to kind of be her own person. But you see her in the workplace and it's a struggle to assert herself and speak up. And you, you see systematically her individuality get broken down or does it as the movie unfolds. And it's going back to the, the prison thought or how it, the building looks like a prison. You don't see a whole lot of the outside world. You see the, the complex, you see where she works. And that to me lent to the claustrophobia of the movie. Yeah. Certainly that, that was intentional. Well, it, it's funny, like how it really fits into what we're living in now, really. Like, I mean, can you imagine being in an apartment in New York and just having right. to like just sit there and you lose your fucking mind? Like, but and and sort of that's sort of what happens without giving too much away in our story, too, in terms of like sort of uh, being stuck in a situation with people you may or may not know very well and you're just there. And the only thing that is probably keeping you sane at this point is listening to podcasts like yours or you know, doing something to distract yourself. I mean, people are you know, drinking more than they should. They're eating more than they should. My, my, my sister-in-law said, by the end of this, we're all gonna be alcoholics and diabetics. That's a fucking fact. Like, <laughs> So, but, but, but going back to the actual one BR story, that's sort of like very true to what's going on. And that apartment complex was really amazing to help kind of convey that energy and information sort of, if that makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. By the way, I love how DIY you are about everything, even handling the press the way you're doing it. I mean, you've all just rolled up your sleeves to make this a thing. Well, you know, it's, that's it's low budget or no budget filmmaking for you. I mean, I love it. You know, when you have all the budget in the world, you can hire somebody to do that. And when you don't, you do it yourself. I love it. American Horror Story, for that's instance, exactly what that, that runs itself. That, that, that's got a machine behind it. This you got to right. roll up your sleeves. I mean, a there bit. is somebody hired to literally like pull the, the, the freak show tent so that it looks windy. You know what I mean? Like there's a job for that, you know, in, in one BR. I mean, if you watch that movie, uh, when you watch it the next time, look for a loke. You'll find him. He's in there. He's an extra See, two. This I is mean, why I want to watch it again. Yeah. Dude, I'm, it's I, like, I, look, I mean, I, our producers who are, you know, they've got much bigger things to do other than just, you know, stand and be like a warm body on the set. They're warm bodies too, you know? Because I mean, it's funny. Yeah. I, I didn't. This is this was my first movie, and I have a production company with my uh, producing partner Shane Borister called Malevolent Films. And we, uh, our background uh, was that we tested movies. We did market research for film for eighteen years. So we tested movies for all the different studios and independents and whatever else. Like you know, I helped fight for Paranormal Activity. DreamWorks had bought it out of like Slam Dance, and they wanted to do a shot for shot remake of it, and they made me come in and watch it. And I was like. They wanted to do a shot for shot remake with like Matthew McConaughey and like Ashley Judd playing the leads. And I was like, this is so stupid. You need to like just show this movie. You need to change the end. The end is terrible. But everything else is the whole interesting part of it is you don't know if it's real. And that's yeah. what's sort of interesting lightning in a bottle for a movie like that. So I had that sort of background coming in and stuff. And I don't know, it, it, it was a thing where we wanted to make elevated horror. Elevated horror was sort of like the missive for our production company. And we you know, came across this script very luckily 
I mean, it was like this. It's it's like my uh, wife is friends. It went to high school with uh, David's manager, Allard Cantor, and his partner, Jared Murray. They have a company called Epicenter. They're also producers on the film, actually. And that's kind of part of the interesting part of how it all came to be. So we had one of those like Los Angeles lunches where everyone comes together. My wife came to, and we just talk about, you know, ourselves and we talk about what we're working on. And I was like, he's like, we'll make, and I was like, yeah, yeah, send me some stuff. I had already had another movie in pre-production. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to really read it for a while. And six months later, the pr production I was working on fell apart right before it's going to shoot. And I was like, holy shit, I need to fucking find a movie. And so I started reading all the scripts. Uh, Allard had sent me two scripts. One of them was Tragedy Girls. If you've never seen that, excellent film. Uh, it's on Hulu. You can, it's for free on Hulu or whatever, if you have a subscription there. Um, you guys hear me? Sorry, I broke up a little bit, did it? Are we okay? We, we can it hear did. you perfectly. It, it okay? breaks up whenever you swear, so okay, maybe good. be aware of that. <laughs> that's, the, that's it. <laughs> the, the, the Facebook police are behind us, are, are uh -huh. onto us, let's say. But um, so, so uh, Tragedy Girls is an amazing film, horror comedy. And I, from testing movies, I was like, it's always hard to do a horror comedy because the people who want comedy think it's too you know, horror based and people who want horror don't think it's like, you know, enough horror going on. And so I told them, I was like, listen, I would never do that film. I, don't, I can't imagine who would make it because it's just, it's hard, it's hard to do it. And they were like, yeah, we just finished filming that a week ago. And I was like, what the fuck do I know? Oh, the other film was David's film, One uh, BR, and so we met uh, at the Culver Hotel. Had some like uh, some coffee and same sensibility. And basically, I was like, "Well, we're first-time producers, and you're a first-time director. What could go wrong?" And so much went wrong. <laughs> and I want to get to that but too. That's sort of the origin. That's sort of the origin story, if you want to know, in terms of like finding the material and also being able to, you know, figure out we liked it because David is so smart. The script is actually even better than what was on the screen because we actually had to pare it down a bit to be able to afford to shoot it, actually. That was a big thing. So if you're just joining us on Facebook right now, we're talking about the movie 1BR. Uh, Alok Mishra is the producer. Naomi Grossman plays Janice in the movie. Uh, I love this movie to death. And we're talking about the creation of it what's behind it. You mentioned the term elevated horror, and it's interesting. I have a hard time describing what it is I like about movies like 1BR, but it, I guess the best way I can describe it is it's, it, it, it walks the line of plausibility until it doesn't. Like it, These are real people until things just go batshit crazy. I like, as opposed to supernatural stuff, as opposed to some other horror type tropes, I like when people just, you, you see the horror inherent in everyday human beings. I, I don't know how what the genre is. Is it elevated horror? I don't know. But it's stuff like this that just, I, I can't get enough of. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's I, I like to think of it as thinking man's horror movies, right? Like you do think about if this is possible. People always put themselves in the position of what if I, what if this happened to me? How could I get past this? Would I be able to escape? Da, da, da. They don't think about these things. And we try to make everything believable enough and character-based enough that you kind of go on this journey with us through Sarah. And it, it's sort of the thing where people always say they, they get a lot more out of it than they thought they were going to get. There are a lot more twists and turns that are actually believable sort of twists and turns that, that occur in the film. Um, you know, it starts off a little slow, like a slow burn. But then, you know, by the time you get into the end game, 
it is just you are there with the characters you are hopefully like sitting on the edge of your seat you are like cheering hopefully at the right part when you know people might get theirs let's say and different things like this <laughs> um without spoiling it too much uh but it, it does in terms of elevator, elevator horror we like we thought of movies like the witch for example and we're like holy shit it's an old english fucking movie that somehow was able to do phenomenal business. They did cut a good trailer together. Their cinema scores weren't so good, sadly, because people saw it was an old English, so they were like, fuck this movie, <laughs> you know? But horror fans who are, you know, really genuinely thinking people, a lot of them all, love that movie, for example. Yeah. And, and, and for, for 1BR, we found our movie in a certain way is a nice, like, like you discovered it, right? You discovered it just, and then once you discovered it, you were sort of, um, surprised and happily surprised let's call yeah. it right and i feel like there's almost a, a subgenre of that is like the discovery right and when people do discover it it's so funny how passionate they get about it but the, the great thing about this in certain ways is the word of mouth right oh yeah we used to have this score when we tested movies there's two scores that mattered how would you score the film excellent very good good fair poor and then would you definitely recommend it now that definitely recommend score is so crucial because if you tell your friend to see this movie, it is better than any trailer I could pay to be paid to cut. You know, you telling sure. your friend will move the dial, right? And so I think that's what this movie has going for it too, is that it's a discovery thing and people are passionate about discovery. They want to spread the word a lot of times, especially horror fans. I mean, you think about the horror genre, I'm sorry, I'm going a little ta tangents here, but like Naomi Grossman goes to all these conventions, right? There's no other genre that has 250 conventions worldwide annually. There's no fucking comedy convention like that like has this many conventions. It's like these horror fans are hardcore, passionate, and really it's a it's a cottage industry, and it's because people horror is its own thing. It's amazing. And our film hopefully is part of some sort of like early tradition of like, you know, discovery that will continue on and, and maybe hopefully if you know fingers crossed have a sequel because i think we've sort of built a world in an interesting way that people would like to see where it's going we've also been a little bit you know close to the vest with where things could go in this first movie so there is a bit of a faith that's needed to be involved with watching it and sort of understanding that regard but i think people love it because it's sort of a discovery in, in a certain way I feel like I'm going off different tangents right now. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, you're you're saying all the right things, and that answered that's, one of my that answered one of my questions. That's my thought for that question, uh, because certainly a sequel is one of the things that came to mind when I finished watching the movie. I want to talk about how Nicole came on board, but first I, I want to ask Naomi, what did you think when you first saw the script? Was it was this uh, was this an easy decision to make? Was it, did you hem and haw? Uh, no, I I mean it's totally in tune with kind of what I do now. Um, it's not what I always did. Uh, you know, prior to American Horror Story, I really fancied myself a comedian. Uh, and so, uh, but you know, we don't always choose our paths. Sometimes they choose us. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, prior to Horror Story, I'd done, uh, sketch comedy at the Groundlings. And, and in fact, before that, in, in Chicago, I did some of that late night comedy there, like uh, Cannibal Cheerleaders on Crack and oh, yeah. Shoot the Porno. And yeah, so um, 
so in that regard, this is a total departure. But at the same time, you know, comedy and, and horror, um, it's interesting. They both sort of lend themselves to really over-the-top characters. And that, I think that's what I really hone. I think, you know, I, I just figured it was, you know, I was going in the direction of SNL. As it turns out, I was going in the direction of AHS. Fine, whatever. I, you know, I, different acronym. I didn't choose it. it. It chose me, but not that I'm mad at it. But, um, you know, the fact is like a lot of these horror, uh, you know, icons say Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees. I mean, these are like really, you know, big over the top characters, which, could very well feed into comedy, but in, you know they also feed into horror, certainly. So um, anyway, uh, now I, now it's my turn to go tangential. But uh, uh, I, I think, given you know, once I sort of established myself in horror, yes, this is very much um, uh, representative of the kind of material that I'm approached with. And I, 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 I loved it. And, and I love Alok. I've, we've been friends for many, many years. And so I'd always wanted, you know, we'd always wanted to work with each other. And so this seemed like kind of an obvious, uh, place to start. Oh, n knowing, of course, that uh, two BR or one bedroom, two bathroom or whatever, we'll be seeing a little more of Janice. I would hope so. One BR right? the Chronicles yeah. colon Janice is how I, I mean they already got me for the reshoots. We were um we shot how many days did we shoot alone? I'll say I'll say this. We shot 15 days initially. It was a crazy, crazy short shoot. And then we realized we didn't get everything we needed to make it to make it good to make it very good. And we're talking scoring. And it was so funny because Naomi Grace won't tell you this, but she was nominated for an Emmy right and like it just so happened we could have shot any time but it was so tough to get the band back together because like <laughs> Naomi is shooting like goddamn American Horror Story like their third season of it right and every time she's on by the way she is like IMDB's most looked up person in the world I've <laughs> seen like trophies at her house like the, I mean Brad Angelina no Naomi Grossman is the most <laughs> looked up person in the world because a lot of times, like, she looks nothing like her Pepper character. And everyone's like, no. that's the girl? I'm going to forward this to my friend. And, and we've got four days to do reshoots in terms of getting the band back together. Like, Taylor Nichols is incredibly difficult to get a hold of because that guy is working like crazy. Like, he's on the show PN15. It's on Hulu, which is hilarious if you've never seen it. And he's um, creepy. He's creepy as all get out in one BR. Oh, he's not Let's even like me. Like, look, he's such a nice guy in real life. You're just like, how is this? You know, and he is amazing. But I, uh, I actually, he was a friend of a friend. I accosted him at a party because I <laughs> fucking love the movie Metropolitan and Barcelona, right? And I was like, Taylor Nichols, you are my favorite. I like that. Da, da, da. This is my college movie. All of our friends are like downwardly mobile. I feel like we're nothing compared to what our parents were. And that Metropolitan movie was just that. I have a fucking Metropolitan poster in my house. And he was like, oh, oh, that's slowly backing up. What's the, yeah, exactly. And then a year later, I call him up. I'm like, I'm the crazy Indian guy that's got the Metropolitan poster. I want you to be our cult leader. And he's like, oh, but he read the script and loved the script. So it all worked out. Um, but but look, you got it off topic. You were on me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. So Naomi Grossman, Emmy, Emmy nominee. <laughs> we, get the, we get the band back together. Literally. 
there's 52 weeks in the year and the only week that they can do these reshoots, which by the way, he says they need it because they, you know, wanted to make a better movie, which I'm all for. And they did. And I'm happy. I, I did the right, we did the right thing. But of course he's like, we squandered your talent. We realize now we need to do reshoots so we can really explore Janice. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> I digress. True. Uh, the point well, is, well, they well, had well, to do it the week, uh, the weekend of the Emmys. So uh, while I was well, pleased hold on, hold to on. go we actually did it, we did it the attend, week. go ahead. We did it. We did it the week. The Emmys were like on a Saturday or Sunday. I want to say. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. got the week before. Now, what's going on? Like, so you know, the Oscars, the Emmys, they have all this great, like, you know, cush, amazing stuff where they're like, "Oh, here's a gifting suite over here with trips to Barbados." And, da, da. and so she came back and she's like, "Listen, Mishra, I'm coming back. This is bullshit. I can't go see that gifting suite and get da da da." Luckily for you. My mother is in town. I've sent her. <laughs> I've sent her in my stead, and I will be ready for your close-up, Mister Demille, Mister Mish. <laughs> That's very good of you, Naomi. You know what? I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> my mom did not go to the cooking. But the point so of it, she was I, so I have not lovely. been to Barbados. Her, her time and is now shining, we're like you know. Lockdown. I probably never will. So. Well, I thought you got—I thought you told me you got some of that stuff. Anyway, the point of it is, this. she was so gracious and so amazing to like in her time to shine that week to go to parties and look gorgeous and do whatever else. She is like murdering people and crying, so she has boogers. You know what? Out There'll be other chances. Like, I have to believe that. I want to well, believe. And, and thankfully, and thankfully, you did, and thankfully, it all kind of turned out in that regard. Hopefully, at least, uh, you know, I think it did. But um, anyway, she was so gracious. Is the point? And she did like in this week of weeks sacrifice your time to come back into the reshoots. And one of the things we reshot, to be honest, was the ending, in which we think, we actually shot two different endings. Uh, and the ending that we like, the producers like better actually work. Dave now likes the ending too, by the way. But in uh, wearing his director hat and writer hat, the writer hat did not like our ending, like the other ending he shot. But finally we convinced him because we did some test screenings for it. Like I was, I think maybe, maybe, maybe mentioning earlier. Um, we did, we did five uh, small test screenings slash focus groups of 20 people each. And it really helped direct uh, a lot of things to go the right way. All right. So let's jump around a little bit. You had your, or you have your Sarah in the form of Nicole Bryden Bloom. I, she, I think she's pitch perfect. She's vulnerable. She conveys that lack of confidence. She seems like a perfect choice for the role. She was not the first person you had in that role this is part of the the mishaps and cursed existence of a diy film um can you tell that story alok of how nicole got the gig and how things kind of went off the rails before then 100 uh so what happened was that we had this like sort of famous tv actress who was like the lead of a show and i cannot tell you who this is because of libel or whatever else and why should we want to besmirch somebody who like you know clearly made a bad decision um but uh the idea is that we had her and then she made us hire her like didn't make us but told us hey listen there's this guy over here i think he'd be good for your male lead and he's on some you know CW vampires show that I've never fucking watched that's been canceled, you know, there since or whatever. And and I was like, um, uh, oh wait, I think David wants to jump in. Hold on, let me just uh, try to figure this out real quick. But uh, the he he, I'll tell the story. He um 
she made us hire him. I don't know if it's her boyfriend allegedly or something like this, but we hired him because he's on TV. He can act. He, you know, seemed like fine enough choice, looks pretty and everything else. And definitely had like, you know, one of the stupid things you have to look at as a producer now is Instagram followers or some shit like this. And it's like, you know, oh, I have a million and she has 5 million. And this makes a difference now because it sadly does. Um, so we had these people and then we were, um, you know, it was a Monday. We we're shooting on a Thursday. This is, you know, our first movie. We're all freaked out. And as you do as a producer, many times you have to um, wear many hats. You know, uh, we had this uh, feminine energy drink that this uh, this young lady or the actress uh, we had wanted. And we had made a deal with the um, feminine energy drink company to kind of show the product in the background or something. You know, they sent us like a truckload of this stuff. Right. And but it wasn't going to get there for like until three days into shooting. And so I was like, we got to go fucking get this stuff. And it's so high end that only like high end grocery stores would carry it. Like we had to call around for it. And so we found the energy drink in this Gelson's, which is a nice like uh, market in LA and Marina Del Rey. And uh, they only had a case of it. And I was talking to the manager. I was like, can you just go look in the back and just see if there's another case? Because I feel like we need at least one more case. And he's like, I don't know if there is. I'm like, can you just, can you just check? And he's like, all right. But while he's checking, I got a call from her agent and they're like, yeah, she's out. And I'm like, why? And they're like, no reason, she's just out. And we're like, are we, we are ruined. Like, you know, it's like, I'm gonna, I was gonna throw up right there in the market and stuff. And I don't have a sensitive stomach, but I was just like, I'm just money. We put a lot of our own money in this film. We just sure. put it out there in that regard too. Uh, and it was a, you know, a life choice where, you know, I may or may not have mortgaged my house to like pay for my share of the movie. Let's put it right. Like, and I'm, this is all like swimming in my head and like, you know, um, I have a baby. And now you're in Marina Del Rey buying a, an energy drink. It's the feminine weirdest. energy drink. Feminine it energy makes it drink. even worse. Um, yeah so i'm gonna like throw up in the spot and then then you know her uh friend calls up he's also out and so we immediately go to the bar uh i don't know it's like noon and we're like um trying to drink and, and trying to figure this out and just like calming ourselves down um then we get a, a call from um our other character the miss stanhope character and i can't tell you who the actor was originally played because it's not nice but her husband is uh is collapsed uh rushed to the hospital is dead dead and we're like okay well she's out too this all happened in the span of a couple hours and we're like am i job like <laughs> what's going on here it's like so we sit and we start thinking about it and we basically and at this point you're you're so far in like there the, i mean it's still full speed ahead you just well what can we you're do so, you're yeah. right you're so deep in it you've just you've got to bully your way through this it's like a wedding is already planned yeah. You cannot get any money back from any of this stuff at this point. I mean, you, there's insurance, but like, I mean, how much is that going to cost if, 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 if it covers it, you know? So we push the movie back a week to the next Monday and we're trying to cast. And the, the truth of the matter is that we always wanted um, we're losing you, Loke. Should I tell the story? Uh, yeah, let, let Naomi, why don't you tell the story? Okay, yeah. She I was David's I... first choice, and she was our first choice, too. But, like, given the allure of, like, Instagram bullshit like this, given the allure... Hello? You hear me? I, I can hear you. The screen froze at, like, the worst possible time for you. It looked like you were being, like, 
eviscerated. Like it was a horrible freeze frame. I, I, in the meantime, I texted Dave to come on. So, so here's the thing. Um, um, we, um, we moved everything back a week. Then what we did is we, um, we got Nicole. Nicole, had, we, she was our first choice, but because of the allure of making money without having to even shoot a frame of film, uh, that was the sort of our you know, thing. And we knew the lady could act. And so we basically got Nicole to come out. She flew out from New York, which is interesting in a regard because she actually was sort of like the real character yeah. of Sarah because she was coming into this place, fish out of water. So these things are kind of helping the, the performance, I think, in some ways that are real life things. So she gets to actually rehearse with David for like three hours. And then we're shooting on Monday. Now, let's fast forward to Friday before we shoot on Monday. We don't have our um, older lady character and we don't have our male lead. I get a bunch of reels from people and one of them is Susan Davis. Susan Davis was the mom on War Games. Um, oh, David's coming on too. Yeah. Uh, and she is an amazing act, character actor. She's been on everything from the Rockford Files. She's Robert Altman's like uh, cousin. Uh, he brought her out. Oh, thanks. And um, so she is amazing. And she has a, she sent us her, someone sent us her reel. A friend sent me her reel. And I watched her reel. There's a number at the end of it. I call the number. The, the, who picks up the phone? I thought it was going to be her agent or a manager. It's her. And I'm like, all right, this is highly like inappropriate, but I'm going to pitch you the movie and I'm going to pitch you us. And at the end of it, she's like, well, you know, I've, I've never been in a cult movie before. I, uh, I think this is interesting. And this is at nine o'clock in the morning, 1130, signed her. Then fast forward to that night, uh, we're sitting in Barney's Beanery because we still don't have the male lead and we're freaking the fuck out and, you know, yeah. drinking. And, and uh, we're trying to tell friends like Jason Blum or whoever to like help us keep CAA open later to find us somebody. And you know, his, his head of like post-production is really good friends with us. And so he's doing all the monkey work and he's helping everyone stay open late. And finally we get a call from Gersh who was very helpful in the whole thing. Uh, they actually are you know, also not only represent uh, Giles Maddy who plays Brian, but also they represent Nicole Brighton Bloom. So uh, Rhonda Pierce and her team were really valuable. And so they call and they tell us, okay, you got your Brian, Giles Maddie is in. But what we found out later was the reason he hadn't called or you know, hadn't figured stuff out yet was because he was driving down from San Francisco and he had to pull over to the side of the road and look at the script on his phone and read it on his phone. And he just read his part and then said, yes, which was hilarious. And so we all were like, we're making a movie. And let's see if everyone shows up on Monday. And it was amazing. Like I said, like David only rehearsed with Nicole for like three hours. She literally brought her like roll, roll away bag, like from the airport to come and meet with David to, to say hi, I think for a coffee. And then they got to do three hours at, you know, what other point, but anyway, so that was a story of horrible. I love this because I feel thing. like. What name? I just, it's funny to me that Alok, like, it's like he's surprised, like, that an actor would only read their part. Like, of course, that's all they really care about. They want to make sure they're not in a porno. That's it. <laughs> and, you know, the fact is. Or at least that, know, or at least that they're not in the porno scene. In the, in the, in the pages he read. So yeah, it must be okay. That's the mentality of the actor. But I can see why, uh, you know, a producer or a director might like be maybe more thoughtful about it. Uh, this is a good you time. You guys to give us way more credit than we're actually worth. 
this is a good time to kind of do what we call a reset in broadcast and kind of acknowledge what we're doing here. Uh, we're talking about the new movie 1BR, which is a fantastic new elevated horror movie. Uh, I have with me, if you're just joining Facebook Live or if you just fast forward the audio file of the podcast, which would be weird, uh, Alok Mishra, the producer, Naomi Grossman, who plays Janice. And just joining us uh, over Zoom is David Marmer. Uh, he is the writer. He is uh, the director. This is his vision made real. And uh, we've been talking a lot about some of the stuff that, that's obvious about the movie, the, the background, where the ideas came from, um, the acquisition of talent. But it just as, as part of the reset, this is a movie about alienation and trying to find oneself, find one's place in the world. And then the independent spirit, how to develop it and what what could make you lose that spirit. And uh, you did a fantastic job with this, David. How does it Thank feel you. to see not only to see this vision finally finished, but how does it feel to have people talking about it? Was, were you nervous before you put it out in the universe? Of course, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think anybody who whoever sets out to to make something is going to be nervous about how it's how it's received. Um, but uh, you know, it, like in some way, I think it's been what's been nice about this is that I think the expectations for it were relatively low. Um, you know, this was, this was my first movie as uh, my first feature as a, as a director. Um, and it was a Loken Shane's first feature as producers. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a very small movie. Um, we didn't have a lot of money or a lot of time. And so, you know, I think the expectations were fairly modest and I think, you know, I would have just been happy to, get through it, not make a total disaster. Um, you know, maybe get to into a couple film festivals and, and, uh, um, learn some lessons, which we all certainly did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the response has been way beyond what I had hoped for, um, or, or what I had realistically hoped for, you know, of course, when you're doing something like this, you're, you are hoping it's going to be a masterpiece. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it like, I, I think one of the big lessons of the movie was really had to do, I, I, you know, it's a funny thing. Like we, Alok and Shane and I sort of came together. They, they liked the script. Um, Alok uh, knew one of my managers a little bit Um but we really didn't know each other. We sort of went into it, you know, with just sort of like mutual goodwill and, um, you know, hoping we were on the same page, but you don't really know what it's going to be like to work with someone until you start working with them. And, you know, I won't, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We had some, we had some conflict, especially early on as we're like getting to know each other and in the, in the pressure of pre-production and, and making the movie, but like, especially in post, like, you know, I have come to appreciate these guys so much because they had such patience. Um, we had a really slow post-production process for a number of reasons, um, partly because my wife had a baby right after we finished shooting, partly because we just didn't have any money. So we were getting favors for a lot of things and that, that slows things down. Um, but also partly just because like it was, it, this was everybody's first feature and it, was, it took time for us to sort of try to get it right and I know a lot of other producers would not have had the patience with that. They, they might've taken the movie away from me, which it would have been their right to do. Um, but they didn't, they hung in there and, um, you know, gave me the time to come up with a cut, the time and the money, and frankly, to, to hire a, um, 
a really good editor um, and, you know, to come up with a cut that we were happy with and then to uh, put together a few days of reshoots, um, which just immeasurably helps the movie. Like you really kind of can't know exactly what you need in certain places until you see a cut of it. Um, and especially on a movie like this, where, you know, we had 15 days initially, there's just not time to respond to problems or, you know, like we had a location that didn't support the ending I'd originally written. So I hastily rewrote it and we ended up with an ending that really wasn't that good. Um, so that was one of the big things we did in the reshoots. And, and these guys just like, they were in it and they were like, you know, let's make this the best movie we can. Let's take the time um, and do it. And I think like, so much of the success is is owed to that. I think it's that teamwork, you know, between us um, that we we kind of believed in each other and we hung in there through the long haul. Um, and so that that's one of the things that I've found sort of most gratifying about the experience. But of course, I mean, you know, to go to like Fantasia Fest in Montreal with like a big chunk of the cast there and to have the audiences respond as they did and to, you know, have those initial reviews come out. I'm always really nervous about reviews. Sure. Like it was, you know, I, it, it, it felt great. <laughs> and speaking well, of the ending, to... without giving anything away, watching the ending, I, I just stared at my screen and said, shit. So, <laughs> good. That's a good reaction. I like it. <laughs> that, was, that was it. I, I, we, we talked a lot about the background, so I don't necessarily want to repeat questions, although I'd, I'd love to ask you them, but we're going to move ahead a little bit. There are a lot of moments, they didn't linger, but a lot of moments that I kind of watched with my eyes through my fingers, uh, some squirm-worthy moments. There was one scene involving a hammer and nails, and that was particularly uncomfortable. And I really have two questions spinning out of that. First, we're talking about a cult, which when you see someone with nails through the hands, you immediately think stigmata, which is religious. Sure. Intentional. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, it's it, obviously they're not an explicitly religious cult, but, um, you know, when I was looking for that moment, you know, you, you, I, I knew I needed something really, really deeply horrifying there. Um, and, and it, you know, it was, it was to accomplish a number of things. Um, one of which was to just um, not to, not to put too much of a dad joke into it, but to hammer home the, the, the stakes, the consequences um, because a lot of the second half of the movie, there's not actually, a, there's not really any physical threat happening, right? It's a lot of psychological scenes. Um, and I, I knew, you know, even in the script writing stage that I needed, we needed to really have gone through the horror of it with Sarah in order for those scenes to work, in order for us to feel the danger, even though there was not any immediate physical danger. So that was one thing. And then, you know, the other part of it is that that sequence is about them basically, um, you know, sort of killing the old Sarah and resurrecting the new one. And so it felt appropriate. It's, you know, it's an image that is very universal, whether, you know, whether you're not, whether or not you come from a Christian background, which I don't, um, you know, it, it is something that's just in the culture and it, it felt like an appropriate um, way to do it, you know, especially given, you know, sort of what you learn about the the history of it and you know the the sort of universality of that particular experience for the people in the group you know i think that you know in my mind anyway it was chosen at some point along in their history as something that would kind of speak to 
you know, many of the people who are joining the community who would have come from a kind of a, a Christian background. It's interesting. One of the things we talked about before you joined us, David, is looking at Sarah from the perspective of, well, what would I do in that situation? And how would I respond? How could, if I were there, how could I get out of this? <laughs> yeah. And that was one of those moments that crystallized the fact there's no getting out of this. No. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the, one of the things that I, you know, was, was really important to me all along um, with that sequence specifically was that I really, I, I, I had this idea early on that I wanted it to be kind of the opposite of what you would expect in a, in a horror movie scene in that it's extremely brightly lit. It's very, it's almost blown out. And the idea is that there's, there's nowhere for her to hide. Like there's nothing in the room for her to use. There's no, there should not be any, it should really feel very hopeless to her, right? Like there's, you know, they're, they're watching her, there's cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to set that up as, as sort of like this perfect cage that, you know, where you would just say like, I don't know how she's ever getting out of this. This movie is so good. The movie is one bedroom. I, I monopolized a lot of your time. So before I, I let you go, I, I wanted to ask the follow-up question about the, the nail sequence. I tweeted about it. And I, I'm assuming it was you, Alok, who responded. That there was a whole issue with blood in a shower, or is... <laughs> what, what... well, they they um, okay. The story is this, and and by the way, I'm happy to stay on longer if you want to stay on longer. Well, sorry. I think Naomi I'm trying to be respectful. <laughs> you know, Naomi was nominated for an Emmy. I, I don't want to. <laughs> Emmy nominee. I was going to go get a trip to Barbados today, but you know, then COVID happened and I haven't left the house since. Uh-huh. Well, my, my point is that I, I think we'd be comfortable staying on longer. I feel like a lot of times when we're on, we always go over time and we've gone over like, we've done two hours before, it, it, whatever's whatever. But I mean, it, Dave, Dave also needs to write, I know too as well. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so what was the question? Sorry, uh, we were talking about- the- the blood, the blood in the shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 uh, so what happened was that we did some of the, some of the movie was shot at my old house, actually. I had this hundred year old creepy craftsman house and uh, it was really awesome. But what we kind of noticed is the office of my house had the same flooring as the uh, set that we shot on. Like it had this weird wood floor that looked exactly like the, set that we had shot on and so all the stuff you see that's interior stuff by the way and you know it's giving something away i'm sure but it's all a set that's all a set there's the outside part from the apartment that you we talked about earlier but everything inside is like this a really amazing like uh, ricardo jaton was our um production designer he set this one setup to be like everything you see inside and it just so happened the floor looked like the office from my uh looked like a floor from my office and so we went back and did reshoots. One thing we didn't see that we wanted to see was a really good close-up on the you know, nail going into the hand. And we had these really great like practical, practical effect people because we wanted to do practical effects that came in. And unfortunately, like the bladder that's supposed to be on this part of the hand, let's say this is a fake hand. And this is the, you know, I guess we're doing an audio thing, so I'm not explaining this right, but the back of a hand versus the front of a hand. Well, the back of the hand was where the bladder is supposed to be. Unfortunately, the front of the hand is where it actually was. So when you're nailing a, a hand into a wall and you have someone's hand against a wall, if it doesn't 
you know, hit the right spot. It's not spurting the way it is. And so there's a little bit of, uh, you know, VFX magic we had to do. But at some point, this is in my house upstairs in the one bathroom that we have. And they take this like arm that has the, the bladder and everything in it. And they take it into the bathroom because it's not working. And all of a sudden it was, it just blows up like in the, in the bat, in the shower. And thank God the kind of the curtain was kind of closed and just blood is like all over the place. It looked like we murdered somebody. And we're trying to like do something <laughs> in the bathtub, dismember them. That's what it looked like. And so my wife is at, I also had a baby during this time period, right before we were going to shoot the reshoots. So I sent my poor wife and the baby and her, her parents away to my, my parents' house and here in Los Angeles. And so she didn't come home until she, when she did come home, she came home and she looked at the show. She said, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> I was like, you can, it can wash, it can all wash out. Just FYI. Like it's like corn syrup. And they told me you can wash it. It'll come out. And she's just like, you left it here. And I'm like, we didn't have a lot of time. <laughs> so it was one of the things I forgot that I wanted to clean up before she came home, but she came home. She's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> Who did you murder here, Mishra? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> anyway, but it's very funny. It, it was it was not expected. It just ha actually happened. It was, ugh, what are you gonna do? Hearing you all talk about how this all came together and just how scrappy you all were and how you dealt with adversity, I, I talked to a lot of musicians, and you always hear stories about how some of the best albums were recorded in no time flat and the ones that kind of go off the rails are the ones that are overthought year and a half in the studio. I, this feels very indie rock to me. I realize it's indie filmmaking, but, but there's something about that spirit that I, I really feel in, in talking to you all. It's, it's, I love this stuff. It, it's creative entrepreneurship. It's true. I mean, if you watch the movie the next time you got to watch for a He's in there several times. Uh, David's parents are in it. His pregnant nice. wife is in it. My yeah, mom was almost in it. Because remember, she came for Christmas as well as the Emmys. And, you know, she would have been in it, but she looked too much like Mrs. Stanhope. And it was going to be confusing if there were like too many, you know, white haired ladies wandering around. But it's um, it's truly like in that regard, it's absolutely like this true labor of love. It's like this where's Waldo, you know, like drink every time you see one of Alok's friends in the movie. Mm -hmm. Well, David, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that you had the experiences you had in LA, which led to you writing this. <laughs> I'm not I, sure I, I am. But... About that, by the way, Dave, already. I, I went into your whole LA experience coming down. Got it. From, uh, well, good. I'm glad I didn't have to relive it. Because, I mean, from, you know, I, I'm, I'm from Chicago. So my, my perception of Los Angeles is very cutthroat, every person for his or herself or themselves. Um, it's a tough world to get, go into. Then on the other side of it, if there's ever a place that seems like a good breeding ground for cults or fringe group activity, it's that. Oh yeah, I mean, it definitely is. Like so many of the famous ones are are started were started in LA. Um, and I don't think it's an accident. I don't exactly know why, but like, I think it has to do with the kind of people that, you know, LA is, is, is populated by transplants and it's populated by people coming out on their own at a young age and people who have a particular, you know, artistic uh, aspiration or dreams of stardom or whatever it is. And I think there, you know, it's a lot of lonely people struggling, maybe not making it and, and looking for something. Um, and I think that, you know, whether it be in, in music or, or movies or whatever, um, 
I think that that makes it a really ideal breeding ground for, for these kind of groups, which by the way, you know, I don't know if you guys got into this at all, but like, you know, my own sort of theory after all the research I did on cults is that like, you know, almost, I don't think, you know, anybody or maybe very few of these groups start with any kind of um, malicious intent. Like, I don't think, I think it's very few people who set out to sort of start a, a mind control cult. Like I, you know, so many of them started with really noble goals. Um, and then, you know, it's just something that it can turn the wrong way. Um, I mean, we clear. talked about it, um, Alok and I talked about it on, uh, earlier today on another podcast, but, you know, even like the Nazis really just wanted to fix the roads. <laughs> Truly. Like, that's how it started, you know? It, I was, I was, I was, I was talking about Edward Norton's character from American History X and uh -huh. like how he talks such a good game in some of the monologues he gives, but you get gives that you're almost like, yeah, he's right. You're like, no, he's a fucking Nazi. Like, don't, he's not, you know. So this same cult does the same thing to lulling you into like they really want to do good for you. They're not like sexually abusing this girl. They're like, we want to make you as it goes along. But right. Jerry believed that he was doing the right thing. Jerry, yeah, absolutely. I think all of them do. I think all of them really believe in what they're doing. And that was one of the, you know, that was one of the things we talked about, you know, in, in all the conversations I had with the cast members who were members of the community is like, you know, it was really important that they believe fully in the ethos of the, of the, of the community and that they believe that they are the good guys, that what they are doing is truly trying to save Sarah. Well, it's that it's that old cliche or line that a villain is the hero of his or her own story. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good quote. <laughs> I love the movie. Again, it's one br. You can rent it VOD. Uh, I saw it on Amazon Prime. You can get it on Apple. What am I? Where else am I missing? iTunes, the uh, Voodoo, Fandango now, um, Directv, in demand. Google, uh, I think, Xbox, as well. PlayStation. Google. Sorry? Google Play. Google Play. Google Play. Yeah. 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 So for those, if you're watching or listening and you need further prodding, which how could you at this point, if you like movies like Rosemary's Baby or Midsummer or The Invitation, we were talking about this earlier, where you see a recognizable world that just suddenly turns, it goes south from very familiar settings and normal everyday people. And you see people's inhumanity to other people just kind of explode. I love this kind of stuff. It, it, it struck all the right chords with me. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Go rent it. We're all looking for content, which, by the way, thank you for putting content out in the world when we are so starved for it. Um, oh, wait, what's the cat's name, David? <laughs> Toshi. Toshi. Yeah. Who's a good cat? Yeah, he's a good cat. <laughs> Who's he's like, he's no he's no the, oven for he's, you. He's, <laughs> he's, the, he's the cat lover. And he, like the whole thing of it was, uh, what's the worst thing in my sort of like what's the worst thing that happened to this cat and he came up with it and then like he, just, like, he actually he wanted to crucify the cat at first and i was even like and i don't you know i i'm a dog person but like i was like yeah usually i don't care but i was like we can't do that we can't crucify the cat and then it, as it went along further from the session we were like ah well um can we he, he put the cat in the oven and i was like i wanted to see the cat like shoot out of the oven on fire its eye like burst or something crazier and it was a part in our focus because we were like all right who wants to see more and only 75 percent of the 75 percent of the people didn't want to see it 
25% of the people did want to see it, but it was really the hardcore horror fans. Yeah. But the truth of the matter, it's not a hardcore horror movie. It's a psychological right. thriller slash like you know, with horror, horror elements. And so like I was very for having more cat. It would have cost us more money in addition, which then I wasn't a fan of. <laughs> but because I'm a money-grubbing producer, is like uh, David likes to say all the time. But, uh, but I realized that I would not win that argument. And I was kind of almost glad that the audience sort of disagreed with me and so we didn't have to spend any more money. And so we didn't do anything, but kind of actually even more try to shield what people were seeing. Because weirdly, that's the one thing that people really have a problem with is sort of like, you know, animal or cat death. Oh yeah. And, you, know, you can kill five people in a movie, which happens, right? In horrible ways, kill one cat. I, I have a hard time. I, I can watch all kinds of horrible, grisly deaths in movies. When it comes to animals and kids, I, I, I can't. I'm, I, it really yeah. has a visceral reaction. Well, I was thankful that we kept at least as much of the cat as we did because it gives me a chance to make hot pussy jokes in every podcast possible. Yes. It's like my go-to. Oh, thank if you. If I don't get it in, then I fail. So now we can now we can say goodbye. Now we no, can I'm move sorry. on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have nowhere to go from there. Uh, so, David, the obvious <laughs> question, you know, after I saw the end and said shit, uh, it was clear to me that we could revisit this world. Yeah. Uh, is that something you're working on? Uh, not actively. You know, it's, it's one of these things where we it's not kind of up to us. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a question of, of whether, um, you know, of, of sorry, Toshi is it. dominating it. here. Um, all right, that's enough, buddy. Come on. Um, <laughs> it's a question of whether, um, you know, of how, of how the movie does, if there's a, if um, our distributor or somebody else sort of came back to us and said, you know, we think there's, um, there's an audience for another one. We certainly, there are places we can take the story. Uh, Loke and I have talked it over a little bit and, you know, I certainly have ideas for both sort of carrying Sarah's forward uh, story forward. And also, you know, I think there's a lot that I would find interesting anyway about sort of the, the history of the, of the community and where yeah. it came from. And we need more Janice. Let's be honest. We need more Janice. Absolutely. Thank you. We didn't get it in the reshoots, by the way. One BR Chronicles colon Janice. I have said it before. Why don't we shoot it in Barbados? <laughs> if that only. way we get, we all win. We that's all where, get what we That's want. where you end up. That's where you end up when you don't do right by the cult is really Barbados. But um, but yeah, you know the thing of it though is that I think that there are a lot of interesting ideas that could be out there. That you know we're we're uh, I should also put this out there too is that um, we're working on another movie uh, uh, that's uh, gonna uh, with another guy Marcel Sarmiento who did Dead Girl and that's what we're gonna do next. It's like a you know more of a five million hopefully dollar production in that regard. But then the next movie we're doing after that is hopefully uh, with David Marmer because we want to work with him again, of course. We want to get the band back together. We actually had a great time working on this. So we understand each other. There's a nice, He talked about patience earlier. Two-way street, absolutely the same way. Respect, respect, respect to him. And so the thing of it is that I'm not going to tell you what it's about at all. But just so you know, we're you know kind of J.J. Abramsing the shit out of this. It's an even better, cooler movie than 1BR, I promise you. I promise you, I can just say that with like, you know, not feeling even one uh, iota of remorse or any kind of like hesitation, I want to say. Sold. It's going to be even cooler. 
and uh yes and uh we can't wait to do it. it's gonna be bigger budget obviously because david needs to like get up there and like start you know directing these big things and he deserves it because he's a visionary and so and you know and uh you know hopefully you know janice will pop in it pop in it somewhere but not as janice uh <laughs> <laughs> christmas. always naomi christmas coming back to it um you know you know a lot of actors uh, sorry a lot of uh directors like tarantino work with the same actors again and again because they're almost like mm -hmm. and even you know james cameron with uh you know different people he worked with um they're good, the good luck talesmans in some way, you know, I feel. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, excited to do work with him again. Uh, and if we get to the point where we find a, a, a really, we're, we're formulating ideas for, you know, a one BR, two bathroom movie, <laughs> but we don't know uh, where it's going to go yet. But we've had some talks, so that, that's at least interesting. I mean, we'll see, we'll see it with the... With the public demands the public gets i want to say that's sort of what it is so if people go out and rent this on vod like crazy there is a real legitimate like case to be made to make this sooner than later sometimes because you always see this thing where like people make movies that now people don't remember like 10 years later and what's the point of this right why not make it much sooner if you can't that's my point so anyway well, i love it, it, it there's it, it's a perfect way to, to spend a night I love this type of horror movie. You, you nailed it, uh, David. The script and directing, absolutely fantastic. I was I was all in pretty much from the get go. And I was saying earlier, like you see her show up in the complex and you see how communal everything is and smiles and there's the handsome dude next door and you just you're just waiting. You're just waiting yeah. for that shoe to drop and it just and when it drops, it drops really fucking hard. It's just it, it's, everything blows up. So I'm going to kill the uh, Facebook live feed. Uh, thank you, everybody who's been watching. Much appreciated.